0: Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive in Scuba News. Scuba Obsessed episode 499 is recorded live June 17th, 2021. Come back to Screwbubsest. Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where this is the weather I absolutely live for. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: So far, so good. it been a very nice day.
0: And I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room this week. We have Karen. You know, we can tell when the weather gets nicer. Oh, well, and then we also have Dave's popped in. So, uh... You know, as, as the weather gets nicer, people show up a little bit later, which is fine. We certainly understand that. Uh, we're doing a live stream. So this is, I can't even remember how many weeks we've been doing it so long. It's, it's, uh, we're still in the single digits of live streams, but, you know, it, it's been an experience, I have to say. Um, you know, it's, it's gone better than I expected this time, but it's not as easy as I was hoping for. So we're, we're working through the details. We'll get a little bit better each week. And, uh, if you, if you see the stream, even if you're not going to listen to it, if you can go into the stream, view the stream, like, and subscribe, and then there's a little bell button, you know, the, all the thing that all the YouTubers say, you know, we don't start off with, hi guys, but, uh, we, we would appreciate it if you, if you like it. Our goal is to get to that thousand subscriber numbers, cause that gives us some additional options, uh, with the podcast and, uh, the video streaming, uh, on the, on the actual podcast side, which is not through YouTube, we have well over a 1,000 listeners. Uh, quite, a, quite a few more than that, actually. But on the video side, it's just going to take a while for people to realize that we're doing it and be aware. Let's see. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We have quite a few articles up this week. Uh, we'll, we'll start off with some of the less positive articles, and then we'll work our way into some of the more exciting. Uh, by now, if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you kind of picked up on, on how we do it. Uh, this first article is from the thepressandjournal.co.uk. Uh, witnesses in scuba diving death case claims uh, victim's family threatened him a man has told a to court how he was threatened by the family of a diver who perished while descending from a charter boat towards a shipwreck. Neil Plant, 47, told lawyers how he contacted police after receiving a message from the relatives of 50-year-old Lex Warner, which he had said were abusive. The court of session heard Mr. Plant say he was on MV Jean Aline with Mr. Warner shortly before he perished in a diving accident. He told the court he had no safety concerns about the vessel. Or the competency of the ship's captain Andy Cuthbertson, but he said members of the Mr. Warner's family told him he wasn't telling the truth about the uh, the account of what happened to their dear loved one, lost his life. Mr. Plant, a criti- critical care medic, told lawyer Robert was that Milligan, Q.C. that he didn't provide a statement to solicitors acting for the Warner's family, but cooperated with lawyers acting for Mr. Cuthbertson. Mr. Milligan, who's acting for Mr. Warner, said, Mr. Plant, you're happy to give a statement to Mr. Cuthbertson's solicitors, but not Mrs. Warner's. Why? Mr. Plant replied, I'd received a threatening phone call from the Warner's family, just basically disputing what I was telling the truth, ended up having to go to police because they threatened my family. It was totally unsolicited, unsolicited, but at the time it made me feel very uncomfortable, and I was quite upsetting at the time. So I decided just to have a short sort of conversation with Mr. Cuthbertson's people. Mr. Milligan asks, so do you consider to be some animosity between you and the Warner family then? Well, yeah, I genuinely don't understand why I was it was totally unsolicited. I totally appreciate they're going through a horrendous time. It's horrible for everyone involved. I fully sympathize. I can't emphasize because I haven't been in their position. But there was no reason for anything, and it was very much out of the blue. It happened, like I said, a good few years after, and they phoned up reputing to be a reporter, the journalists, and eventually were admitted to the family. They made threats, and if I didn't tell them the truth, where I would lived and things like that, like I said at the time, I went to the police and they obviously needed to raise time. Uh, they're looking for five hundred thousand pounds of compensation on behalf of their nine of her nine year old son Vincent against MV Jean Lane Scapa Charters. They actually have been brought against following the father's death on August fourteenth, 2012 at uh, Dive Northwest of Cape Wraith on an unnamed wreck. So this is the unfortunate thing when somebody passes, and this is why insurance is expensive for Dive Charters because somebody dies, somebody sues. It's just almost a given.
1: Is this supposed to be new? I mean, 2012?
0: I think it's finally gotten to court. So this article was... After
1: nine years or whatever?
0: Well, it's June 17th is when the article was. This is the Press and Journal. So I think it's in the court system right now. Wow. So, yeah, the event happened in 2012, August. Um. And he said it was years after the incident happened when the family called. They were they were pretending to be reporters. So I think what they were – like he said, and I think he's got a fairly positive opinion on it, uh, they're upset about it. They think somebody's hiding something. Uh, obviously, they have a little bit of a financial incentive because they're trying to get some money. Um, so I think they were you – know, every, everybody want, uh, wants to play lawyer and detective – so I think they were hoping to uh, catch him on a lie. You know, like they, they somehow made, you know, this is allegedly, uh, maybe they believed that uh, uh, he was in cahoots with the captain. Uh,
1: After nine years, it's going to be hard to do anything. You know, who can remember what, yeah. which is a, is a standard tactic, but not nine years. But often if you're in an auto accident, for example, hmm and you don't ever hear anything, and I think it's two years. A week before the two years is up, you'll get a summons to go to court, or you'll have a, a hearing because you're, you're being sued. Mm-hmm. And how much do you think you remember after two years almost of a fender bender that you didn't think much of, and suddenly you got sued? Hard yeah. to come up with facts and figures.
0: Heck, for me, two weeks later, I, I can't remember. I mean, asked me what i ate for breakfast you know on monday I've, i have no clue it's thursday i'm
1: yeah. just still curious on why they waited so long and or well, what was the problem with proceeding in court well,
0: for the last nine years well i mean when we look at the united states and some of the uh, ideas about why we have laws one of it was for a timely trial uh, yeah. is that in all i mean this is in the uk i would assume that our our legal system is more similar than different with theirs, but uh, yeah. is this a, a normal amount of time? Yeah, it, this article doesn't say when the, the suit was brought, uh, yeah. but it does appear that it's currently in the courts, unless this newspapers just decided, hey, it's a slow news week, let's dig, up, <laughs> let's dig up something for a while. But I would think if that was the case, then they would have said what the outcome was, and they're not saying that. So it sounds like it's currently wow. being being argued i like the rest
1: of the story though where he talks about they're trying to say about the safety concerns on the boat somebody didn't do a good job and his comment was he didn't have any concerns about safety on the boat if he had he wouldn't have got on the damn boat
0: (laughs) that's very true and that's how it should be
1: yeah and he said i found the guy to be a good skipper very switched on no messing around he knew what he was doing very experienced this guy is very comfortable with the dive charter Yeah. And like you said, if I didn't think it was a good place, I wouldn't have gone back.
0: Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll see. This is one I don't know if we'll ever hear anything more again because it doesn't seem to be that high profile of a case. But as I go each week and search for content, this one did come up.
1: The only other odd thing I find, though, is you read the – did you read the rest of it? Uh, Mr. Plant – He no longer dives. He added, I never dived after that day back in August twenty twelve. I never ever dived again. I stopped diving, sold my equipment, kept in touch with my friends, obviously, but they but I've never been back in the water. Mr Smith then asked whether or not he stopped diving because of Mr. Warner's death. He said the death of Mr. Warner was just one of the reasons. That's interesting. With with any
0: type of activity, uh, I mean, let let's be honest here. I mean, we're we're not being compensated by dive equipment manufacturers, or dive shops, or instructors, or dive agencies, or anything like that. So, we can say it the way that we think it is. Scuba diving can be a pain in the butt. It, it's not. You can't have unless you're a minuteman diver. Somebody can't call you and say, hey, let's go diving in five minutes. And most people can't go out because you've got gear. You have to have it serviced. You have to to get it all ready. You know, is this? do you use the same gear on Lake Michigan in the spring as you do in Lake Michigan in the summer, as you do in a river? I mean, there's all sorts of considerations. And you got to haul it and prepare it and get in a boat or do a shore dive. So it's it's a pain. So that can weigh into it. Um, Is it fun? You know, was he on the way out of the career uh, or that hobby, and uh, and this is uh, traumatic. I mean, this when you're on a boat with somebody who who passes, it maybe it brought in the mortality. Maybe he thought that hey, that could have been me. So he he didn't say that was that was. He said it was part of it. So, but I I agree. It's kind it of interesting timing.
1: Well, some of the wording too. It's like the action claims that there was fault and neglect, and the the firm maintains Mr. Warner, an industrial cleaning contractor, had a duty to walk across the deck carefully because of heavy equipment he was wearing along with.
0: I'm I'm sorry, Mac. We're going to have to repeat that. I think I lost the connection for a second. There you go, Mac. There I see you again.
1: I see you now. What happened? Oh, well, maybe my ranting and raving stopped something. <laughs> yeah. oh, there.
0: So you, you see the gray sections there in that chart? And then
1: the big block of, of white? Yeah. So we'll see the, yeah. the, the
0: gray is when it lost connections. And those are called the other outages, as I was mentioning earlier. Ah. Those are – ooh, and the last one was no satellite. So we had other outages, and then we had no satellite. So – Yep. And it just depends. There we go. So it just depends on when it's going to be. Makes for more editing for me. Yeah. So let's just do a little quick scene change. And then where were you? (laughs) You were talking about uh,
1: I was reading some of the items that talked. I don't know where you got cut off.
0: Well, you were talking about the firm maintains that Mister Warner, an industrial cleaning, cleaning contra- contractor, had a had a duty to walk across the deck carefully because of the heavy equipment he was wearing along with his fins. So i I don't know how did, did they really say in this article? Uh, I'm slotting away. F- like a fly in here uh well you saw
1: the last paragraph too right yeah it is contended that mr warner's decision to dive resulted in him experiencing increased levels of abdominal pain due to underwater pressure which in turn led to a rapid ascent and his death the hearing before lord sanderson continues it's like this sounds convoluted as heck
0: yeah um, and, and it and it could be part of how it's written up, but uh, abdominal pain due to underwater pressure, which in turn led to rapid. I mean, that <laughs> doesn't what the hell does that mean it <laughs> will right <laughs> underwater pressure. I've we've heard this in a few of these. It's like there's, and I don't know who they're playing to. Are they trying to convince a judge, or are they trying to convince a jury? And then maybe they think that they can make up pseudoscience and then people just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's what it is. The pressure. Is... I'm
1: waiting for them to say, I'm just waiting for them to say, and this tank contained oxygen, too.
0: Yeah, there's oxygen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I I don't know what they're trying to get there. Um, said I've been a boat several times. Uh. The action claims there is fault and neglect on the part of Scapa Flow charters and failing to take reasonable care for the safety of Mr. Warner. Had a duty to walk across the deck carefully because of heavy equipment he was contended at the dive resulted in him experience increased levels of abdominal pain due to underwater pressure. See, and, and the thing is, what kind of care were they expecting? I mean, this sounds like this happened underwater. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I don't know what how charters are in the UK, but here in the United in the Great Lakes, a boat is a taxi. You know, it's going to do. You know, it's they're going to get you out to a site. Uh, you know, maybe they'll snag the wreck, or they're going to move, uh, uh, attached to a mooring. But there's not much than that. There's there's typically not uh, a dive master who's going down with you. It's like you know, you go down, you come up, you've got an hour enjoy it
1: uh well we still have not had any updates on that other case of that young lady that drowned i'm i'm still looking for that data Mm -hmm. well let's interesting stuff interesting stuff
0: and that was the first article
1: (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that
0: Uh, not a problem so here's one uh just a little bit up north from us in lake huron uh, U.S. Coast Guard to present awards to Captain of Shipwreck, Tours, LLC, Boat, in Munising. Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. The United States Coast Guard will present Captain David P. Dobbins' award to Captain Kate Faust and the crew of the Shipwreck Express on their effort to save two kayakers. The ceremony will take place at 9 a.m. on June 16th, and the award will be presented by Camp, Captain Anthony Jones, Sector Commander of Sault si- uh, Sector Commander of Sector Sault Ste. Marie, but it's a little redundant. Uh, The Captain David P. Dobbins Award recognizes outstanding actions accomplished while engaged in the search and rescue missions on the Great Lakes. The award is linked to the heritage of Captain Dobbins, the first superintendent of the U.S. Life-Saving Service, Great Lakes Ninth District. In 1876, Captain Dobbins was a native of Erie, Pennsylvania, distinguished himself by performing and organizing heroic rescue efforts for the schooner was at Oneida in 1853 the schooner comet in 1860 and many others before the life Saving service was officially established. Captain Kate Faust the crew are being recognized the rescue that occurred on September 20th 2020. Captain Faust observed two kayakers in distress near Grand Island Michigan while underway on a sightseeing cruise. There were 51 passengers on board at the time. Kayakers were paddling against 32 mile winds in three to four foot seas over 90 minutes. Captain Faust alerted her ship's course or altered her ship's course without hesitation to render assistance. She rescued the two kayakers, recovered their watercraft in extremely difficult conditions using the vessel's homemade man overboard recovery system. Once on board, the kayakers were monitored, rested, and rehydrated. So that's less than a year ago. That was just this last fall.
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And the one thing that I'm a little surprised by is that they, what's the capacity of that vessel that had 51 passengers? And we're starting to get back into an up spike in COVID in Michigan in the September and the fall, if I remember correctly. So that was, I mean, it, is it that big a vessel? I mean, I, I, you know me personally outside in the wind on the great lakes i don't think you're you have a a big chance of spreading covid but uh i i just kind of if that number's accurate that seemed to be a lot of people on a on a, on that vessel ah yeah uh, but good good for them uh thank you very much for for doing that uh and that's what you you kind of hope i i'd like to say that's normal for michigan uh, or, or any place else in the United States, you'd hope that somebody sees somebody else at risk out in the water. Three to four feet on a kayak. Uh, so they've been out there a while. So observe two kayakers near the Grand Island while underway in a sightseeing cruise. They're 32-mile-an-hour winds. That is a heck of a...
1: That's whipping. You're not going to go very fast.
0: No, no. You, you're either...
1: kayaking a bit, haven't you?
0: I've been kayaking before, yeah. And that's it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that many, that, that much, you know, two and three foot seas and that wind. Yeah. You're going to go where the wind pushes you.
0: Yeah. I don't so like. So I just
1: wonder how far offshore they were.
0: Yeah. Well, near the island, it depends where you are. I mean, you could have been on the, you know, the one side of the island and got blown around and you may not be able to overcome that current. And that's probably, oh, yeah. And that's probably what she realized. She probably was looking out there noticed that they weren't you know they were heading in the wrong direction so you know her her captain's senses told her that she needed to go out and and help them and and thankfully she did
1: by the way i'm looking at that boat that's mm-hmm. a hell of a big boat
0: <laughs> is it where, where do you see oh, the yeah. boat
1: i i went to and i just googled for uh kate and the uh shipwreck express so that's she... a big boat let me tell you Plenty of room, 51 people. <laughs>
0: okay, now I, now I got to look. So here we go. Now,
1: probably if you look up the boat itself, Shipwreck Express.
0: That's where I, I think that's – so is this the
1: – Images of Captain Faust. So is it, is that the – That's a big picture. Is that the out. vessel there? I I'll Let me go back to where you are. I'm somewhere else. <laughs> uh. Can- not at, oh the, uh, yeah the one at the bottom in the middle yeah that's it
0: okay that's a pretty big boat but the
1: actual picture of the boat looks a lot bigger than that
0: but, like like this one right here yes yeah that's a, that's yeah. a good sized boat. I would love yeah. to have that boat for a dive boat take out the glass bottom yeah. put it put in a moon pool with a little winch and maybe a raising platform. Yes. Ah, oh. then you put a side scan in each of the pontoons, do a nice good swath. <laughs> you know, put put a pizza oven in and a bar. Oh wait, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, uh, yeah.
1: Well, congr- I mean, it's a good thing she was out there and she did what she did because it didn't sound like it was going to be a lot of fun for those two people. Yeah.
0: Well, I think this next one you will certainly relate to. Divers make an explosive find in the Chattahoochee River. Um, this one's out of Georgia. Some scuba divers have <laughs> ha- made an alarming discovery in the Chattahoochee River. Those divers were in the water when they found pipe bombs. Jeremy Sides was diving with friends in the Chattahoochee River off uh, West Pace Ferry when they discovered an old mortar and what looked like a pipe bomb. Steel tube capped on both ends. I shook it. It sounded like something dry was inside. Hey, just take a hammer and whack on it a few times. Uh, as soon as we got out of the water, they called 911. The bomb Squad came, looked, and they determined it was enough of a threat that uh, they were going to treat it like a real bomb. Homeland Security and Park Rangers also took a look at it. Officers closed off the bridge and took possession of the pipe bomb. <laughs> Just a couple weeks later this past weekend, Slides in Johnny, was it Canone? Canone, were diving the same area and they found two more pipe bombs. I pulled them up, and I can see the fuse hanging off them. I'm looking at them thinking, there's no way I found two pipe bombs. We verified they were legit pipe bombs said sides. Please, sh- and and can you see that photo there? What he's holding? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, we verified there were legit pipe bombs. Police showed up in the corned-off, the parking lot, the shops of Vinnings on the river. The bomb squad rolled in and went to work. It was great seeing the bomb truck come in, seeing the robot pick up the bomb and put it in. We kept everyone away. Oh, they kept everyone away. It really didn't hit me until we saw the police presence that it may have escaped serious danger. Police took possession of the pipe bombs. The mortar that was found may have been from World War II. The divers said it was sent to Dobbins Air Reserve or military munitions expert can take a closer look at it. Both divers have more video of the pipe bombs on their YouTube channel exploring with Nug and Georgia River Boys. So, And that that was on uh, Fox 5 Atlanta. And here is uh, their YouTube channel. So uh, if you do do a search for Georgia River Boys, you can see it. I'm not going to play it on here. They're trying to get some views. We'll let them have the views. Uh, They are now over uh, 1,000 subscribers, which is what they were going for. So uh, go ahead and if you want to view the video. I did watch it. It's interesting. Uh, They're doing some of the videos similar to what we had talked about doing, but I want to do... I want to do them a little bit different, but uh, and, and plus they need to adjust their audio a little bit. There's a few times it kind of blew it out, but uh, you know, good getting started. And I'm not sure how many videos they've got. Let's take a look while we're talking about it. Yeah, it looks like they're just getting started. About nine months ago. You know ago. what they're for, don't you? What the the pipe bombs?
1: Yeah, you know what they're for, right?
0: Yeah, it's fishing. Fishing. Did,
1: yeah, yeah, they were They're lucky they didn't find the ones I found
0: because yeah, you found, uh, why don't you tell everybody? Mercury what...
1: switches. Uh, yeah, it's similar to that, except they were a little more innovative. They had a mercury switch on the inside with a 9-volt battery. So when it went down, hit the sand, would fall over, mercury switch would activate, you can go boom. And I found several under a sunken boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, there may have been a connection there. And I called the state cop once I realized what the hell I'd found. Fortunately, they were old and the battery were dead because they went into silt, stood up until eventually the battery shot. So by the time I picked them up and went like this, I dread to think of what it would have been had it been fresh.
0: Well, and, and here's the thing. We do not advocate using explosives for fishing <laughs> because no. could you imagine had that gone bad Uh
1: Oh, yeah. Well, the kicker was when the cop came, he said, eh, not a big deal. Nowadays.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: FBI, bomb squad. Yeah. It's like, well, well, you remember when we we found, and this is a long time ago, the railroad torpedoes under a railroad bridge?
0: I, I wasn't there, but I've heard the story.
1: Yep. And it's like, I mean, they got, well, we. We took the stuff into the to the police station after we finished our dive, and uh, after they realized what it was, they said, "Would you guys carefully take that out of the building, please? <laughs> because when it dries out, it becomes unstable because it was uh, potassium manganate Anyway, it becomes more unstable once it's dry. So they requested us to take it out. They didn't take it out. We took it out.
0: I I, I and, become more unstable when I'm dry as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, put in the fifty gallon drum, added water. And left it with them. God knows what they did with it.
0: <laughs> you didn't ask?
1: No. Oh. So those things do happen, and you can't find that weird crap. If that's a shiny new pipe and it's sitting like this, leave it alone, people.
0: <laughs> you, you you didn't have your probes beating on it, you know, <laughs> smacking it with the...
1: I, no, I'm going like this and pulling it out, shaking, looking at them.
0: Uh, I, You know, I'd have just, done, the, I'd like done said, the same thing. I mean, it's just what, it what would we do. would have
1: been very, very bad if that had been a new one. Kaboom. Yep. I would not be here.
0: Well, we've got a series of three articles. Let's see. How long have we been going at it? If I pull up. we our... started
1: at 10. It's 1035.
0: Yeah. We've been about 45 minutes is what uh, YouTube is showing us. Uh, and then... <laughs> the The edited version, we're we're saying that's how long, but we've got to take quite a bit uh, out. And you've probably, if you've been watching any news, uh, this article broke last week, just about the time we were recording it. I didn't see it till shortly afterwards. Uh, but it's a it's related to a diver and a whale. Uh, oh. And this one is from the Observer, Massachusetts, and it says, "My God." I'm in a whale's mouth lobster diver on brush with hungry humpback. So what we're going to do is we're going to cover each of these articles in turn because it kind of the story changed over the course of the last week. And then we'll do some comments on it. Uh, So this one, as it talks, it says a new English lobster, a new English. (laughs) I'm I'm making things up.
1: Yes, Uh, a lobster.
0: Uh, A a New England lobster man had described the moment when he realized he was trapped in the mouth of a humpback whale off the coast of Cape Cod. Oh, my God, I'm in a whale's mouth, and he's trying to swallow me, I thought to myself. Hey, this is it. I'm finally going to die. There's no getting out of here, Michael Packard told the local news station in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Packard, 56, was 45 feet down off Race Point in search of lobster when the feeding whale presumed to be juvenile took him. He said he felt this huge bump and everything went dark. The first of the fishermen assumed he had been attacked by a great white shark, but he could find no teeth. It was happening so fast, my only thought was how to get out of its mouth. Uh, Partially ingested in the leviathan's maw, the surrounded by curtains of uh, filtering baleen, Packard said he kept breathing in the regulator of a scuba tank. I realize there's no overcoming a beast of that size. He was going to do with me what he wanted to do. He was going to spit me out or swallow me. Later, during the half-minute ordeal, Packard said he began to consider his situation more clearly. Here I am. I'm breathing air. I'm going to be breathing air in the whale's mouth until it runs out. Crazy stuff. The whale thought better. All of a sudden, he went to the surface, just erupted, started shaking his head. I just got thrown in the air and landed in the water, Packard recalled. I was free and I just floated there. I couldn't believe, and here I am to tell it. The boat captain, Joe Francis who had been following Packard's bubbles, told CBS Boston, I saw Mike come flying out of the water feet first, with his flippers on, and land back in the water. I jumped aboard the boat. We got him up. We got his tank off, got him on deck, and calmed him down as he goes, Joe, I was in the mouth of a whale. He goes, I can't believe it. I was there in the mouth of a whale, Joe. Packard was taken to the hospital and discharged later that day. He's damn lucky to be alive, Francis added. Philip Hoare, author of Leviathan and the Albert and the Whale, uh, Albrecht Durer and How Art imi- Images Our World and the Friends of Packard and his fishing partner, was it Josiah uh, Mayo, says the humpback was almost certainly a surprise as a diver. Horst said Herring Cove Beach, adjacent to the race park uh, where the incident took place, is shallow and known for gatherings of juvenile humpbacks feeding on sand eels at this time of year. Whales have poor forward vision, he noted. Mike would have been down there collecting lobsters in the whale, trying to swallow sand eels. He would have suddenly found that he had a diver in his mouth while he or she was dragging huge volumes of water. But before the whale could push the water out of the baleen filters, the lick of sand eels off with his tongue, the individual would have found Packard. Since a humpback's esophagus won't accept anything larger than a melon, the whale would probably have panicked. This young humpback is hanging out. He really hasn't learned how to feed properly and doing stupid things. Suddenly, he's in trouble. He gulped Michael, and now he has this huge thing in his mouth. That would be totally freaked for the whale. He's going up the surface in a human way, vomited him out. The last thing the whale wants in his mouth is something so big it would choke on it. Michael's inside the whale, and God knows what he's thinking, but anyone on Cape knows a problem with great whales. They are there. They are huge. Three people have been attacked, one fatally in the past year, says Hork. Horace's Packard was transformed the mythic figure in Provincetown. The Jonah had came back. He'll never have to pay for another drink the rest of his life. Filmmaker John Waters, a seasonal resident in Provincetown, had been in touch. Are you jealous? And do you believe it? Waters wrote. So that's the, the original story that I saw going on. So what do you think, Mac?
1: Well... Hey, it's possible. What can I say? I know that I did skip ahead and look at the other stuff, but. Uh, yeah. Well, there, there. Why that's not possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's. He, he was. You know, the, the believability of it. It rings as possible because there are those humpback whales in that area. Uh, they're consuming food that is along the bottom. So the eels and the lobster is also what it's eating. Which I didn't realize that they ate lobster. But heck, if I could, I would just as well. So the, they're in the vicinity. It seems probable. He had somebody who was on the boat. So I'm I'm taking it he was going down. Uh, maybe I read another article where it talked about he was one of the last lobster divers in that area. So it, it it rings possible. So so now this next article that we'll take a peek at, uh, this one happened, uh, let's see, The that's June 15th. And the original article was June 12th. So this is three days later. And experts have evidence the fisherman who claimed the swallowed by a whale is a big fat liar. And then, you yeah, know, there's some... Uh, so the, so let's, let's, we'll, we'll read the beginning here. I'm not going to play any of these videos. In 2015, the world was uh, treated to one of the most enjoyable viral stories in the history courtesy of two human embodiments of the state of Massachusetts who encountered, they believe, the baby fracking whale while fishing in Boston Harbor. Are they making fun of a Boston accent? Is that what's going on there? A baby fracking whale? Uh, after the video started to make rounds, people with some knowledge of marine biology quickly determined the whale in question was actually a sunfish. However, last week it appears another resident of the state had encountered an actual whale. He claimed swallowed him while he was diving for lobster off Cape Cod. The clip of uh, Michael Packard recounting the wild incident that unfolded in the waters of Provincetown immediately took the internet by storm. Wow, that, that is terrible audio. Uh, you... You can go to click on the links and you can listen to it. But it's, uh, you would think they could have uh, they had a little bit better audio for what he was saying. Uh, the story's been making uh, the makings of a movie that Packard said he'd love to see Matt Damon play him. <laughs> but in recent days, some people started to cast doubt in the veracity. Thanks to a number of aspects, that seemed a bit hard to stomach. On Monday, NBC Boston published an article after speaking with Dr. Peter Corkton. Corkerton? Corkern? There's no T uh corcoran corcoran peter corcoran who runs the uh, marine mammal conservation program new england aquarium he told the outlet being accidentally swallowed by feeding whale that just never happens and while he admits the humpback could theoretically scoop up a human in its massive massive mouth while feeding he comments make it hard to believe that packard spent 30 seconds inside the mouth of an animal before getting spit back out The New York Post also contacted a doctor at the hospital (laughs) where the lobster man was treated. Two questions if the whale was actually responsible for a number of injuries. He was treated for prior to being discharged. He said anyone who has ascended from 45-foot depth in 20 to 40 seconds would almost certainly show signs of damage stemming from such a sudden change in pressure known as barotrauma. The fact that Packard managed to swim away with both his eardrums intact is another red flag. I normally approach stories like this with the same mindset as Fox Balder. Well, I want to believe the evidence is making it hard not to take Dana Scully's approach. Is he saying, if you, let's see, how deep was he? 45 feet? Ascended from 45 foot depth in 20 to 40 seconds. Sudden change in pressure. So you're, you're going from over an atmosphere and pressure change. I mean, you wouldn't advise that. You shouldn't go from 45 seconds to the surface that quickly. But is that is that really enough to cause that sort of trauma? Or would, or would they be saying that the whale itself would be exerting pressure? Like if you had a drink in your mouth and then you kind of clenched, would you increase the pressure? Is that what he's getting at? It's hard to say. So he's saying he doesn't think so. And then, so what What date was that? That was the 15th. And then here that, that same day, uh, this is from boston.com. Cape Cod scuba diver believes a lobster diver who's saying, who says he was trapped inside a whale. Here's why. I don't think he's lying at all. I think it's amazing what happened. He reportedly ascended from 45 feet depth Twenty to forty seconds, and he didn't have any evidence of barotrauma. An unnamed Cape Cod hospital emergency room doctor told. Now, why is this article saying it's unnamed, but the other one had the name? <laughs> they couldn't. They couldn't look it up. I mispronounced his name several times, so somebody had it. Doctor works the same hospital where Packard was treated, but who did not treat Packer as a patient, told the newspaper a person who experiences something like that should have suffered more serious injuries, like hearing loss due to a change in water pressure. First, believe it, uh, I, f- I first believed it, but I'm thinking about the fact he didn't have many injuries. He didn't seem traumatized enough. So I'm skeptical because of that. Uh, meanwhile, unidentified Massachusetts lobster men of 44 years told the Post, people who are in the fishing industry and people who know whales are finding it hard to believe. It's the first ever that this would have happened. If it happened to some Yahoo, basically all we'd be doing is arguing about whether it really happened or not, and there's been very little of that. But local scuba divers say Packard's confrontation with the massive mammal, although rare, his, conf- his condition afterwards is definitely plausible, and I take him at his word. Uh, Josiah Mayo, uh, Packard's crewmate and diver who was in the boat as Packard tussled the whale on Tuesday, also dispelled talk, the encounter was merely a tall tale. Somebody has to take that position of all the real estate in the story. Some people have be skeptical of it. But honestly, my comment to that, though, is that it's a kind of the one of the neat things in the story that happened to someone like Michael because, you know, if it happens to some Yahoo, basically we we'll all be arguing about whether it really happened or not. Uh, Packard is a highliner, Mayo explained, with that sort of elite group of fishermen. Even until today, there's sort of a code unspoken where these guys just don't embellish stuff, you know. They always underestimate their catch. You know how rough it was out there, any of the drama, and that happens out there. Uh, Packer could not be reached for comments on Tuesday. Uh, next thing I knew, I was completely black. I could see that there was moving. I could feel the whale squeezing with muscles in his mouth. He started to throw his head side to side. The Next thing I knew, uh, I, knew I was outside in the water. Uh, Joke Robbins, director of humpback whale studies in the center for coastal studies said the times the incident would have had to have been mistake by the humpback, as Whales are typically not aggressive, especially towards humans. Robin believes the whale was a juvenile was feeding on sand. Lance, when it came across paths with Packard, she told the newspaper that while the whale opens its mouth to eat, its vision can be blocked, which often leads to humpback becoming entangled in fishing gear. Still, instances like this are very rare, nearly non-existent, according to Robbins. She told at the times that the esophagus on the non-toothed whales is so small to swallow human, but the whales would just put their mouth up around and spit it out. It's not something I've heard happening before. So many things would have to happen to end up in the feeding of the whale. Imagine a whale like this, oh my goodness, moment, probably would get rid of him as quickly as it could. At the hospital, medical, medical personnel discovered Packard had a swollen hip. Mayo said he initially thought Packard would need extensive surgery, putting their boat out for the season. He's actually recuperating daily, improving daily, and he's looking to dive early next week probably. I think he did have some kind of encounter. It's just pretty dangerous job that he's doing. And then there's some people saying, what's a doctor going to know about the ocean? Come on now. I mean, you got to go to the doctor because you're sick, but you're not going to run the doctor if you go catch lobsters and play with the whales. <laughs> and, and they got some more comments what's our vote? Did this happen or not? So I, I, I went on and on. <laughs> so, uh, h- had you read those three articles? Yeah. So, so what do you think? Did it, did it happen? I mean, if we, if we get to, oh, wait here, I've got a.
1: Absolutely. I think it happened. I don't think he was all that deep. You saw the one of the whale breaching, and how big its mouth is. Yeah. And that's, that's not untypical. Um, I don't know if he was necessarily at 40 feet, but even if he did, and if you're talking about how, how long did it take that him to breach, he said he was in there 30 seconds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, 30 seconds. I, if you're breathing and exhaling, I don't think that's an issue. I don't think he, he, he kept his head. He didn't hold his breath, kept breathing.
0: Yeah, I, I think he could certainly survive that. Um, because what they're saying, why it couldn't happen, wasn't convincing me. Because do you want to go from forty feet up to the surface that quick? No, but it you certainly could. Uh, can you physically fit in the whale? Yeah, you can physically fit, and the whale is in the is in the appropriate area. I mean, they have those out there, so yeah. I mean, you could take the position that they. Cook this up because they were going to get something out of it, but it doesn't sound like it. I mean, it doesn't ring of somebody trying to make make money. And I did listen to a little bit of the video, and he sounds believable. I mean, it's a it's a good story. Because uh, when I saw the first article, I'm like, wow, that's yeah, you know, that's that's exceptional. Darn, we missed it for the last show. And then I saw the other one, I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, that might be some good points. But then, yeah, you know, I, I I think it happened. Yeah, uh, so great, you know you can survive. So lost you again. Did did you lose me?
1: Oh, I did for a minute. You blanked out.
0: Oh, okay. Uh,
1: so so are you going to continue with the other two, or you're going to go to Noah? Well,
0: did I? No, I I covered the other two. <laughs> I went through all okay. the I went through all the articles, so everybody will have heard them. Uh,
1: oh, okay. How yeah. come I didn't hear any of that?
0: I'm not sure. Um, uh, we'll we'll have to come up with some bat system, uh, yeah, for that. I can still hear them, you. So. That's, yeah, yeah, it's oh, it, okay. it's on the recording. So, yeah, I'm, right, I'm, I'm, we're done. looking for somebody to, yeah, we're we're looking for somebody. Uh, Karen is gonna do it tonight, but she's a little bit bu- uh, was a little busy, but we're gonna try and have somebody, uh, kind of act as a producer. For us, and we'll throw them in the oh, the video the video recording room so that they can. You know, jump up and down and, and let us know because uh, mm-hmm. some some of the audio I'm, I'm still editing last week's episode. Uh, you know, w- with the with going to video, the editing time is about four to five times the time of the audio. So it's taken a little bit of time. I probably got two or three hours oh, in, yeah. on, on editing the video. And I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm as we had discussed in some of the previous episodes is record live the tape. So I'm trying to do a lot of the editing on the fly as we're we're recording. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, you know, with internet drops off and stuff, it's just you still have to do some cleanup. I've been watching other people who do live streams professionally, and this is a pretty common problem. I mean, it's just the state of where the internet is and the software. Uh, It's good. I mean, it's fun. You know, part of the live streaming is you have the community – on there, but it does create some additional need for editing and, and that's what we're doing. So this next article up, I think that's the one we just had. Uh, let's see. So mysterious seafloor plateau off the east coast being explored for the first time by NOAA team. A NOAA expedition is underway to explore unmapped areas of seafloor off the east coast, including the first known visit to a puzzling deep sea anomaly known as the Cairn Seamount. The underwater plateau rises up sixty five hundred feet two thousand meters over an otherwise flat section of the Atlantic seafloor. No officials say. The origins are a mystery, but if all goes as planned, scientists record the first images of the formation June nineteenth through June twenty first put this in the background can i Well, so well I'm, i got that video playing there a little bit in the background the karen seamount sits 100 miles offshore and there's nothing quite like it in the area according to casey cantwell operations chief for the NOAA ocean <laughs> exploration it's like a little submerged island way offshore no one's ever been there before but we're hoping to learn a little bit more about it the mountain has remained a mystery largely because it's so inaccessible. It sits about 440 miles off Virginia, under 16,400 feet of water, 5,000 meters, likely surrounded by an accelerated deep sea flow. Along with photos and videos taken by camera, the team hopes to collect seafloor samples so geologists might get a better understanding of the sea mount's origins. That's if wind, waves, and current permit expedition coordinator Matt Dornback told McClatchy News. It could be barren rock and sediment. It could be teeming with life. It could be a mixture of both, depending on the what side or depth the seamount we look at, Dornbeck said. 3,000 meters deep is getting to the deeper limits of where deep-sea corals can live. Some sponges can live deeper. We might be lucky to find some deep-sea corals and sponges in the ridges of Cairn, but we don't know. So that kind of answers our question from last week. Yes, it So does. So we were saying, how deep can they go? They're saying... 5,000 meters, 16,000 feet? Are there really deep sea corals that deep? That is uh, surprising. Uh, So, uh,
1: I was trying to figure one thing out though. If it's that deep, but the plateau rises 6,500 feet, so if it's like you're flat at 16,000 feet, bang, you got a wall that comes up. 6,000
0: feet. Okay, I see what it is. So it's not, so under, it's, it's, it's likely surrounded. I really would love to see a topographical map. Okay, well, here's. Yeah,
1: side view. Yeah. But that's what it sounds like to me is the water depth to 16,000 feet, and you're tooling along in your submarine at 30 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, bang, you hit this damn wall, and you look up, and it's 6,000 feet up. Now, what I don't know is when you go at the top and go across it, how far do you go before it drops back down?
0: Yeah. Well, here we're we're seeing a chart which is showing the, so you see the East Coast. We see the continental shelf. And then, is this way out here? You're probably not seeing.
1: I can't enhance it.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah, and they
0: talk about some shipwrecks, some canyons. So we'll just we'll just have to file this along and see what they they come up with. I I think some of it's lost in the translation because yeah, I th- I think it's so the plateau rises roughly two thousand meters. Yeah. So you got to take the seafloor depth and then raise it up and then.
1: Yep. That would be. And then how far it goes out, I would be curious to know because they say an island, so it looks like. 6,000 feet, all of a sudden, bang. Or not 6,000, but whatever it was, thousands of feet. Uh-huh. And it came back up. It's like, that's odd.
0: Yeah. Be and those are different. sheer walls. Yeah. Yeah. From what they're saying.
1: That camera system is pretty nice, though. Yeah. They got some good toys. Oh, man. W- wouldn't you
0: wouldn't mind having them for a week? Yeah, when, just, just...
1: No. I would just like to have them sold in a week. <laughs> and then I could buy me a nice boat. <laughs> Uh,
0: Yeah, so trade it up. Okay, so this one should... That's still interesting, though. That is. If
1: that had been shallow water, that would have been something else. Mm -hmm. But one would have thought the Navy, if it had been shallow water, would have known about that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it seemed to be quite a bit out there. And they must have scanned it and and known the mount, because there's a lot of these anomalies that they're aware of. But oh, yeah. where's the money, where's the time, or the interest to go and take a look at them? So I'm sure that Noah and some of these research ships have a, a list of things that they'd like to try and do. And as we saw in that previous chart where they had the, you know, here's what we're going to do on this date and where we're going to go, uh, you know, they try and tie some of the stuff together.
1: Oh. Um,
0: so this one's from the straighttimes.com How a century's the old. best
1: for, The best for last.
0: Yeah. How centuries-old shipwrecks in Singapore waters were discovered. Two historic shipwrecks have been excavated from Singapore's water. Ceramic pieces dating back to the 14th century have been salvaged. Here are the details of discovery and their significance to the island city's maritime heritage. A Singapore-registered barge carrying two loader cranes encountered bad weather while on the way to Countan and ran aground at Pedra, Branca on December thirtieth, 2014. And yes, I'm aware I probably slaughtered that. Two cranes were at risk of toppling under Pedro Branca's famous Horsborough Lighthouse, which was built in 1851. To prevent this from happening, dynamite was attached to two cranes and they were blown up while two boats pulled away from the lighthouse, scattering metal into the sea. So these two cranes were at risk of toppling on the... Onto the lighthouse, so so okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to picture this. So there's a barge. It's got two cranes on it. It runs aground, and they're tall enough that they're afraid they're going to damage the lighthouse, which is historic. Yeah. Uh, so the dynamite was attached to the cranes, and they blew them up. As two bolts pulled them away from the lighthouse, scattering the metal. So okay. Uh, commercial divers were hired to clear the area of the scraps, said uh, uh, Dr. Michael Flecker, visiting fellow at ISEAS, Yosef Isaac Institute Archaeological U- Unit. It was while diving to retrieve the scraps in 2015 that Mr. Ahmed, oh, we'll call him Q, <laughs> the, a diver stumbled, stumbled across a few old ceramic plates, informing his manager, Mr. Ram, Zen, Salim about them. Uh, Mr. R. said he was skeptical about the find, given how close they were to the rocky seabed. Nonetheless, he asked Mr. Ahmed to identify the area and return there where their tasks were finished, only to find more plates. About the same time, a 10-week-long archaeological dig was being carried out at the site of the emperor's place. The divers, while following media coverage of the findings, realized that some of the plates retrieved near Pedra Branca looked very similar to artifacts retrieved at Empress Place and decided to hand over the plates to the Institute for further research and safekeeping. The rest is history. Upon ISEAS's confirmation of plates were high quality Celadon ceramics dated to the fourteenth century, the National Historic Board partnered with the Institute to conduct a survey of the site, discovered a shipwreck in twenty sixteen. Mr. R. said Wednesday they had a hunch that finding was as significant as he had previously participated in the privately funded expedition to recover centuries-old porcelains. Asked if it crossed his mind to sell the artifacts he stumbled upon. He said getting the plates valued for sale would have been too time-consuming. Furthermore, he added that the public education about Singapore's history is the first thing on his mind, and handing over the plates was the right thing to do. Mr. An joined the ISEAS team. On in the initial survey in 2016, subsequently participated as a volunteer in the excavations, further contributing to a project that was kick-started by a civic-minded decision to hand over the plates to the relevant bodies. Wow, there's some nice photos. Uh, they have a scale in there so you can figure out how large it is.
1: Uh, I went to a couple of other places to look at other photos, and they've got, it looks like Ming Dynasty type, containers intact just stacked on this deck of this one recovery boat oh really and i'm looking at the divers and that's not rebreathers that's all tanks not doubles so it can't be that deep either
0: and it's amazing if somebody hasn't been there and looked for it it's there yeah uh, like wh- I watched the video of the divers we covered earlier, where they had found the bombs. That river, we would love to be diving in that spot because it was like it had never been picked over. I mean, there was just everything there. And you know, Georgia's been inhabited a long time, so it had a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, so 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 uh, I'm showing some of the the objects that were found in the wreck. They
1: said the heaviest finds were four anchors, as long as five meters, weighing in two each, and nine cannon, which required a trained vessel to remove them from the seabed.
0: Did you happen to see the cannon?
1: Looking at the, uh, what some yeah. of the other stuff they found.
0: Yeah, I am showing that cannon now. Oh, are you on the screen? Yep. See it see it in there? It's it's hanging off the crane.
1: I'll have to go I'm
0: yes. Yep. There it is. And that's a that's a decent sized cannon. Big enough. Get the
1: job done. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff you sort of dream about finding.
0: Yeah. Oh, look look at this. The, here here's a photo uh showing that diver in the water. Now that is clear.
1: That's what I'm saying. It doesn't look deep either.
0: No, I mean it's got a little but bit you of. Got
1: a, good vis Got some light.
0: Yep, a little green tinge, but not too bad. In the article, it's worth reading. It goes into some of the details about how they were marking it out, uh, kind of a little bit of instruction on some underwater archaeology and conservation. Talk about desalination and stabilizing. Uh, the leaching out of the salts, metals replaced in a chemical solution, or organic materials reinforced, if possible. And then, yeah, yeah. So nice article. Uh, good job. Worth a yeah, read. I just
1: saw another picture of the boat with the cannon. If you look on the deck of the boat, they've got two other cannon off to the right, wrapped up. Ones in blue. Oh yeah, they do. The yes. And this so is kind the of a little picture clutch, I got isn't? is much much bigger
0: yeah very nice
1: i don't think we're going to find those too much in uh, michigan waters
0: yeah we're not we're not going to get that quite that same look of cannon here yeah so very nice well, I think that is going to do it for Scuba in the News. I was thinking I was going to make it a little bit shorter this time, and uh, we ended up going going quite quite long again. Oh, and here's the chat room on YouTube, which I had ignored. Uh, yeah, Dave's saying you're going to have a job editing this episode. Eh? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Marcel Marceau Podcasts. Uh, were, were you missing some uh some audio i'm I'm guessing Dave so uh thanks once again and and if you're in the chat room not the chat room if you're if you're watching on YouTube you know the, those thumb ups thumbs up on the episode as it's streaming does help I say we do have one like out of there after three users which means there are two users who, who didn't like us so <laughs> a little little guilt trip there well we're not above that. Uh, so thank thank you for listening. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, and maybe this is time we go and talk. I'm, we're going to record an actual spot here where we, you know, we can get some some drinks and it will go through and do a spiel. But if you're enjoying the podcast and like the direction we're going with the video and like to encourage us to do more of them, uh, we could use your support on Patreon. Head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to our Patreon link. And $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes and links to the uh, live stream. Uh, And then we are looking for people who want to help out with the podcast as this video uh, uh, has added some additional complexity. Uh, We're going to need somebody to take on a producer role during the episode just to keep us on track and alert us when things like the stream drops or you can't see or something's out of sync or uh, video freezes. Uh, so we're going to give that a try. And, uh, we're also looking for some guests. If you've got videos, like you've been, uh, got your YouTube, yeah, YouTube, if you got your GoPro or other action camera and you've got some, you know, two to three minutes of video you'd like to share with us, you go ahead and do it. You can share more. I just have to cut it down. Uh, we're starting to show the videos during the intro and outro of the show. And if it's interesting enough, we can actually cover it through the program. We'll, we'll, do a little comment as it as it happens. So certainly would appreciate some of that. Um, so Mac, do you have a dive safety story you'd love to co- like to cover?
1: Well, we can talk about untrained and unprepared lessons for life. Uh, deception spells doom for divers who enter cave system. We've seen this before. Nothing new, which is interesting because. We keep doing the same thing over and over. After they made their way past the narrow opening in the freshwater spring, the cave system opened up in front of Cliff and Andrew. Cliff had been inside the cave several times, but it was the first time for Andrew. He was a little nervous, but excited about what he was saying. They had lied to get where they were, but Andrew was happy they did, and he wanted to do it again. He made a promise to himself that he was going to return later with double tanks, the same as Cliff had, so they could explore even deeper, the divers. Cliff and Andrew were good friends and frequent dive buddies. They met at the local, uh, local dive shop and headed off. Andrew was 52 years old, male, certified, experienced open water, advanced open water. He was not a cave diver. Now, Cliff was 42-year-old male, Experienced dive instructor. Cliff had trained Andrew in several specialty certificates, but it was neither a cave diver nor a cave diving instructor. The dive. Conditions were good for the first freshwater spring where Cliff and Andrew planned the dive. It hadn't rained much lately, so the water was clear. Flow out of the spring was minimal. They watched several teams of certified cave divers gear up and make their way into the system before they donned their own gear and headed for the water. The dive location had strict rules about diving. If you don't and didn't hold a cave diving certification or weren't training with a certified cave diving instructor, you were not allowed to enter the caves and you were not allowed to bring a dive light with you. You are only allowed to use the lake area outside of the spring for open water dives. Cliff and Andrew signed the forms agreeing they would only dive as open water divers even though they had lights hidden in their gear bags and did plan to dive inside the caves. They had both been seen to the diving the, at the park several times. Cliff was well known to the staff as an instructor so no one checked the gear to make sure they were telling the truth. Cliff and Andrew knew exactly what they were doing. When came time to get into the water, they did their best not to be noticed. Cliff led Andrew into the water as they were planning to make a training dive in the open areas. When Cliff was sure no one would, would see them, he led Andrew to an opening to the cave system and quickly swam inside. They did not secure lines outside the cave system entry. The accident. There is no way to know exactly what happened to Cliff and Andrew inside the cave system. Neither man made it out alive to explain. Nearing the end of the day, staff at the facility realized Cliff and Andrew's empty gear bags were still in the grassy area on a tarp where they had left them. The staff initiated a search in the open water areas and asked every diver who was around if they'd seen the two. No one had. The next day, a recovery team found their bodies 120 feet inside the cave. They were in a small offshoot of the main system. Andrew was out of air and had drowned. Cliff was wearing twin tanks. An examination of his gear found the manifold between the cylinders closed, which indicated there was no pre-dive check, nor was it conducted properly. One tank was empty, the other full. All Cliff would have had to do is open the valve and switch to the other regulator, which was supplied by a full tank. The two men were found next to a permanent guideline in the cave, but there was no direction attachment to the line, which would have shown the divers which way they needed to swim to reach the exit. They were lost and could not guess which direction led back to the entry and safety. The analysis. Diving can be a exclusive club. We get to see places and things the average person can only see on television. Cave diving leads to beautiful places and even more exclusive than the typical dive site. And only a small percentage of divers will ever visit underwater cave systems. But as we know, without the proper training, experience, and equipment, cave diving can be exceedingly dangerous and even deadly. Doesn't happen often, but it happens. Occasionally, untrained divers will decide to enter a cave system just to look around and end up getting in trouble. Imagine being lost inside of a cave system, not having any idea how to get back outside into the open water, and watching your air supply slowly drop and finally down to zero. Because that's what happened to Cliff and Andrew. Their last minutes were lightly filled with panic, fear, and regret. One probably ran out of air first, leaving the buddy behind. One man had to watch his friend and dive buddy lose consciousness, knowing that would happen to him next. The overriding tragedy of this incident is that two people died because they knowingly and willfully disregarded well-established safety practices and dived well beyond what they were trained for. Just as the basic rules for diving are there to keep you safe, there are rules for cave diving. They begin with additional training that includes how to run a line inside a cave, how many lights you should carry, special rules about how much breathing gas you should carry, when you should turn back and head back to the surface. Many cave diving sites allow recreational divers to use areas outside of the cave areas as an open water destination, especially for training. But to do so, you have to agree you won't venture inside the cave you aren't allowed to bring dive lights with you to help you know, discourage you from entering the cave system. As the Grim Reaper sign posted that the entry to mini cave says, prevent your death, go no further. There's nothing in this cave worth dying for. In Cliffs and Andrew's case, they ignored all that, paid the ultimate price. They literally watched your lives end or the gauges dropped to zero. Don't follow in their fin kicks. Lessons for life, don't dive beyond your training. This is true for any and overhead environments like caves, shipwrecks, any place you can't make a direct descent to the surface. Rules of cave diving have been learned at the cost of people's lives. Don't ignore and don't disregard them. Don't be overconfident, extensive open water experience, even be an instructor. Does not make you an expert in overhead environments, especially caves. You know better, but you do it anyway. Why do we continue to do that?
0: Yeah, it's cave diving that that's it's a high risk activity. Just because you know how to scuba dive doesn't mean you know how to cave dive. Uh, as Dave yeah. in the YouTube chat saying, no live to open water. There's only one in five cardinal rules of cave diving by Sheck Exley. Almost all fatalities violate one or more of the five. Yeah. It cave cave diving. Get the training as as we always want to say is is dive within your training.
1: Shipwreck research. When you enter a shipwreck, Mm -hmm. do you use a line? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, like you said, you know you have to do the training, observe the training protocol, and always look at the you know decide side what could go wrong. Have a contingency contingency for that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's yeah.
1: I mean, I, we yeah,
0: as I look for articles for the podcast each week, we could do an episode just on fatalities. Uh, there are, every week, people dying somewhere in the world all year round. And in peak season, it's multiple people. Uh, and it's either going to be health issue. You, know, you weren't healthy enough to be doing the diving and you, know, you had a heart attack or, or something. Or you're diving uh, outside your means when you shouldn't.
1: Well, the, one of the simple items people really do need to do better is that is practice our emergency skills. You know, what do you do if you run out of air? Have mm-hmm. you practiced buddy breathing?
0: Yeah. And if...
1: That's a key item. It helps. If you've got air, you got time.
0: Yeah. Well, and make a plan when you're going out and doing a dive. So we're going to do a dive on a wreck. Say it's at 45 feet. You're going to do your safety stop. Safety stop is a perfect opportunity to do some practice or training. Yeah. Uh plan that in the surface before you go out uh in the water and you know say, hey, on on the way up, you know, you know, make some conditions. If I've got a, a thousand pounds and you've got a thousand pounds and you know, maybe we do try some buddy breathing at the safety stop. You know, where it's a, it's a little bit less doesn't
1: mean you can't do it in the swimming pool either. No, no, certainly. I mean, yeah. as as we found out last year, how many people had not done it off and dawn mm-hmm. since forever? I
0: I it had been a long time, and it ga- it gave me confidence because I remembered how to do it. And I'm like, oh, this is not too bad, because you know, intellectually, I'm thinking, you know, there's buoyancy. I'm taking, I'm taking uh, my vest off and my weights, you know, the uh, because when I did all my training, I. I had a, uh, I didn't have integrated, I had a weight belt and a BC. Well, I had changed my kit since then. So now I had integrated weights. So as I'm taking that BC off, uh, my, my weights are with the BC. So I had anticipated that I would rock it right to the surface. And uh, it's much better to try and do that in the pool than it is to, to have to do it in a situation and not know what it's going to be like. And, uh, it gave me the confidence to know that should I have to in the water, I can I can certainly do it and, and work through any of the, the buoyancy differences.
1: Yeah, if you've never done a lift bag or, or mm-hmm. put your buoyancy bag, you know, Oh yeah. and a finger reel, Yeah. try that. It's going to be surprising if you've never done it before. And yeah. A pool's a good place or 10, 15-foot water. Try it shallow.
0: Yeah. D- did you buy that lift bag just because they said that you had to have it for advanced open water? So then you've got the lift bag. It's never been unfurled. You've never blown it up. Uh, and blowing it up on the surface is definitely a lot different than the water. You know, Does it have an open bottom? Yeah, especially it a... if
1: it's cold water yep. and you're using the regulator as opposed to a airline. Yep. And then you get a free flow because yeah, you froze your regulator. Yeah.
0: <sighs> and then do you have a finger reel to float that up? Or are you going to float it up on a different
1: reel? Yeah. So. Or the finger reel you bought it ain't kind of worked the way you thought it yeah.
0: did. Yeah, that's that's uh you know if you ask dive boat people how they can tell the rookie divers, it's it's the ones that come up with the the reel in a knot. And that's not to say that veterans don't get their their lines tangled and have to bring it up and sort it out on land. But uh
1: well, it's also you get a good line burn if you're doing it in the pool or shallow water. What and you realize real quick like. That spinning reel sort of burns my finger, yeah.
0: Yeah, Karen. And learn a lot that way. Karen in the chat room is saying, Yeah, uh, I end up hanging on the strap upside down when I practice that, so it can happen. I mean, yeah. but uh, you know, if you understand what your current setup is going to do in different situations, then you can prepare for it and get yourself back in the, the gear. Because if yeah. you, if like, we do a lot of river dives, if you get snagged you want to be able to get out of just about everything you've got on.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know,
0: depending on the depth.
1: Well, and the other item is you never have, like even your uh, river stick, mm-hmm. you never have something attached to yourself you can't disconnect. Exactly. I mean, you can't break paracord.
0: Yeah, it, it's tough. Uh, now if you got something on the wrist uh, with your gloves on, can you pinch and uh, loosen that strap up if you need to? So,
1: I always think it's interesting is, can you disconnect your inflator hose on your wetsuit or dry suit with mitts on? Well, so if you started having overinflation at 60 feet in cold water, mm-hmm. are you going up or are you going to be able to disconnect? Yeah.
0: I can disconnect and reconnect my BC uh, depending on the pressure. It, it can be a little tough, but I've, I've done it both at depth and on the surface. What I have a really hard time, and it's something I'm going to have changed out here in the next month or so, is my uh, inflator on my dry suit. Uh, That's I, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've been I've been fighting that one for a while, and it's just getting worse and worse, and I can't put it off any longer. I need to have that change. It's an older style, you know. It's a recycled uh, Viking, and uh, I bet I'm one of like three people in the world still <laughs> using that old connection that they've got on there. So it, it's time to be changed. Plus, I need to figure out where that that, that leak is coming from, becoming a mostly dry suit or semi-dry. <laughs> so diving. Oh, oh, we had the mud club meeting this last week, I understand. I, I...
1: Yes, we had our first meeting in over a year. Uh, we had it at the Benton Harbor Regional Airport. They were kind enough to let us use our lobby since they are closed at night. Uh, lots of space, so we had good uh, social distancing for those who wa- wished to have such. Um, we had a real good meeting. We had uh, two new people, uh, one from Indiana, drove all the way up here just for the club meeting and joined, and uh, another young lady who's uh, now taking a class at Wolf's, also came to see uh, what we are doing and what we were about.
0: Oh, excellent. So s- some people who we had never seen before at a meeting. Correct. Awesome. That's good. Uh, our Facebook page, which if you're an active diver and you answer the three questions correctly, uh, which includes what's your favorite color, uh, then you uh, can get into the Mud Club Facebook page. And you can hear what everybody's talking about. And what? Let us see. How many people do we have on Facebook now for Mud Club? It is like a- at least nine hundred and fifty. That's <laughs> it's crazy. Now imagine if they're all paying dues. Uh, dues for the Mud the Michigan Underwater Divers is fifteen dollars a year. Uh,
1: well, we we this at the club meeting. By the way. Oh, did we? Oh yes, big time.
0: What the 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 dues amount or just uh? No, like,
1: we we dive with the people who have the dive like our hats, uh-huh. our patches. Yep. You dive that way, and you have that because we know you. You have dove with us. We know your standard of diving, that you're trying to stay safe, be safe. Your dive practices are safe. Mm-hmm. We don't know how the other people dive, and if they're going to be wearing our patch and our gear, we want to make sure they're safe and competent right, divers. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, and we, we won't have that control. Yeah.
0: Oh, what the heck? I clicked. I was trying to click on there. Oh, these. Facebook, you're, you're making me look bad. Uh, so, yeah, we have 858 members in the... And that's that's in Facebook. That's not in the club. Uh-huh. So, Right. Because uh, the nice thing about Facebook is it's, it's kind of like a recruitment mechanism. So just because somebody's been in there and, and we haven't kicked them out doesn't mean they're an actual member.
1: We don't kick them out.
0: <laughs> Boot them? Was, is there a, like a politically correct? Uh,
1: no, there's nothing political about it. We just don't encourage um uh, selling anything. Oh, yeah. We have occasionally let people sell a swimsuit or something, or, you know, a wetsuit or a tank. Yeah. But uh, we don't do that for for other groups. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not there to make a profit for somebody else. And if you, if you have 400 likes from something else, not likes, but if you're in 400 groups, you're probably data mining our club members. Oh, right, right. And members from the... Yeah, yeah, there, there's... So we got to talking about that. We got to talking about the club site of how we had thousands upon thousands of scams and spam. And that's why we don't do comments, don't allow comments mm-hmm. and feedback. The site, that site. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've... Uh... So I I wish I and had... we
1: talked about that too by the way what you were showing yeah Kevin and Amy
0: yeah so what I, what I'm doing right now and I kind of meant to do it as a an actual episode uh in the news and I just kind of forgot <laughs> so not that we well, did we can do that
1: next week yeah we, we can, can do, do that do next that week next so week. Th- so this is a, this so is a, out.
0: so here's a tease uh so Kevin's getting some good social media links there, so yeah, we'll 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 talk about that uh, next week. As I tap on the, I can't tap on the buttons even. I'm a little challenged, which my wife will agree.
1: <laughs> well, they're trying to put a buoy up on the Rockaway oh, yes. this week. Yep. Uh, there's. Did you realize that the buoys got totally ripped off for of the wreck?
0: Yeah, I uh, I saw Kevin talking about that. We had the uh, board of the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve, which I'm a member of. We uh, were discussing what was going on with that, which was a little unfortunate. And I mean, you know, the the end of the season, you think one thing, but then when you go to reattach buoys and and lines, we discovered that it had pulled off the mooring. On the wreck. Well, the, the key lane. item
1: was do you realize the other one is uh, a 1,200 pound weight moved to 75 feet away from the wreck?
0: Well, and that's the thing that is we're, we're trying to determine was this an accident or was this intentional?
1: Well, what's going to pick up 1,200 pounds and move it?
0: Well, I, I Storm can do amazing things listening to my grandfather over the years
1: yeah well the chain and stuff is missing too what i mean
0: yeah if
1: we had thick ice i could understand the top five or ten feet getting encased in ice and as the ice flow moved that'll definitely drag that yeah well but you've seen where the uh green bay and moved quarter mile right that's that's phenomenal yeah how a shipwreck into the bottom can be sucked up and moved a you know quarter mile yeah. away
0: yeah my my grandfather and i've probably told this story in bits and pieces uh yeah you know, cuz he he's uh from the time he was a teenager had been involved with uh Shipbuilding and marinas and boats and the and Lake Michigan, his whole entire life, and uh, he used to have people come to the the boatyard and talk to him about stuff. And one one thing is everybody always had a theory on how you create a seawall, and uh, he, he used to like to bet some of these guys. And one of them was this gentleman was going to make a seawall, and he had come up with this new way of doing. They they took these nylon bags. Uh, and they would pour hydraulic concrete down the bags and they'd basically it'd fill the nylon tubes and they would make this concrete wall. And he was like, this is mother Nature's not going to touch this. And it was some ridiculous amount of concrete. And I wish I could remember what it was. And my grandfather said, I bet you, you can't find that in the spring. And the guy laughed. He says, no, it's how many tons of concrete that's going to be there. And then uh, the storm came, and next time my grandfather saw him, he said, well, how's that holding up? And he said, just shut up (laughs) because they couldn't find it. It just, you know, the Mother Nature has ways and means of pulling stuff apart. And uh, you may eventually get it, but, you know, any, any simple idea has probably been thought of before and isn't being done for a particular reason. Okay. Well, I think we've gone on long enough. Hopefully I can get this down to an hour and a half. I keep thinking it's going to be short. Uh, We're probably going to be doing uh, some surveys. We're going to put together some questions to get some feedback, ask you to fill out the survey so we uh, understand what it is you're looking for and that we're meeting your needs and desires and any suggestions. Um, so so look out for that. I got an email earlier today from our hosting saying that they plan on moving us to the uh, new hosting service here in the next week. So probably by the time you're hearing this episode, uh, it will already have happened. So we'll be on the new host. So that's what we're hoping for. Well, Mac, do you have anything you want to plug before we get on out of here? I understand that we do have... Uh the last We Forget is, is happening this weekend.
1: Yep. Unfortunately, uh, COVID is still with us. They normally have a, a duck and mm-hmm. a, a different type of vehicle from the Marines that they use to take passengers on. Only one of those is going to be available, I found out today. Uh, the gentleman who owns the other one got very sick and he will not be able to be there this week. Uh, there's another one of the Medal of Honor winners who is doing a presentation. He is sick. Another. Right. I'm And you're talking, you're getting to be my age and under. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that COVID is still out there. Yep. So it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, now, how now, we do this. Now, time. you said
0: sick. Uh, that was actually uh, him... Uh, so I there... didn't say
1: they. I do not know if they have COVID. I do know they're both very sick right now. So I know those two items won't be there. I know the, uh, I shouldn't say I know for a fact because I haven't seen it yet, but the uh, 369th Huey Association, they're the ones who normally bring their Huey down. Uh, they're slick or, you know, in, in a gunship. They were, it was not on their schedule. I understand there will be choppers available for rides, but not the Huey.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but uh, it's still worth going to. It's going to be um uh, the Forgotten War, Korea that's our emphasis point this time. Okay, well, yeah, because so you're out it, and about, we well, probably
0: do not have too many veterans, if any, left from World War II.
1: You've got to be up there,
0: yeah. Because I know there are some battles where they they had lost the last survivor in the last year. So uh, yeah, it's it's we're we're it's getting to be more of a challenge.
1: Well, they'd be ninety five years old if you were at the Battle of the Bulge in nineteen forty five. Yeah, and that would be you'd have to be if you were twenty years old, you'd be ninety five now. Yeah, and if you're fifteen, you're ninety. Yeah. So there is not a lot left.
0: Yeah. So what I've just done here, since we mentioned COVID, uh, I'm showing the, uh, just kind of an overview. This is from a website, covidactnow.org, uh, and they pull uh, stats from a variety of places. This is something I've been watching for about the last, I've, I've been watching all the numbers accurately because as a computer scientist, I, I do a lot with data, but uh, but this has been one of the more reliable. I still think that, that some of their sources are questionable. But uh, so this is showing, showing their numbers, uh, and we're now in Bering County, we're less than two cases per hundred thousand. So uh, and it's been going on for a while, uh, the last week. And that's
1: or so. local, depending on where you're at. Yeah. Because that new strain from India is kicking butt for some people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know if they're doing enough testing to know if that's what's happening. Um, I know now they're trying to convince everybody that uh, the vaccines aren't effective to it, but I haven't seen anything official. It's just people saying, oh, we think it may not work. So I'm always skeptical of news media because they're making money by you clicking on it or an ad sale. So I like to go to the, the data, but we're seeing cases down uh, at some of the lowest since the pandemic began, uh,
1: except in certain states.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 looking at Michigan. I can only focus on Michigan. Right. I, I, right. that that's in my backyard. So you know, your mileage may vary, and that's in, <laughs> uh, it it may be different in certain countries. I mean, we're we, you know we got the vaccine. I mean, I'm not bragging, but you know the the vaccine had a much higher availability in the United States than uh, throughout the rest of the world. So we're going to be leading in a little bit of these numbers, which means that uh, we're probably better off. There's some places it's still spiking. Uh, But, uh, you know, last year in the end of June and July, we were down about one, one and a half cases per 100,000. And hopefully here we'll we'll hit those numbers here pretty soon. Uh, the... Well, doesn't
1: look like we're going to do the seventy percent they wanted no. by the summer. If you've been out and about this month or this last week, very few people are wearing masks. Well, well, it's
0: it's not required if you're vaccinated.
1: No, if you're vaccinated, but... yeah,
0: Yep. And then in uh, July first in Michigan, we're lifting all restrictions, including if you're vaccinated or not. So it's pretty much going to be, you know. Like it was before the uh, the virus, but it's it... go ahead.
1: I was at the airport board today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had social distancing even in the in the in the meeting. No one wore a mask. Everybody had been in that group. You're only talking twelve people. Everybody had had the the shots. Yeah. And even though everybody had it, we'd had six feet apart from everybody in there. Yeah. And we actually had the, one of the individuals decon the place before we even got in.
0: Yeah. And it depends on everybody's level of comfort. Uh, yeah. I, I think we're going to, your most businesses, you know, and in, in here's, here's our squirrel moment, as if we haven't gone long enough. Uh, on the screen now, I'm showing the Michigan.gov website. And this is the COVID vaccine dashboard. Uh, this particular chart is coming from the CDC, which is a little bit more accurate than the state of Michigan because the state of Michigan is tracking where they have put the vaccine and where they've been given, where the CDC data actually shows where people live who've gotten the vaccine. And where this really comes into effect is if we look at, I'm going to go back to the, uh, the Michigan map here. And it's looking a little bit more flat, but we've frequently seen along the border that there's a lower vaccine rate. Uh, let me see if I can find. I don't think I got, I got a chart on this one. Uh, there were some of them showing lower vaccine rates along the border. Let me see. Maybe it's here. Uh, fine. Uh, yeah, right here we look, you can see this lighter color means they're not vaccinated, but this is the Michigan data. And the thing is, if you live in Cass County, there's no major hospital systems in Cass County. So you're either going to go to Berrien County or you're most likely going to go down to Indiana because that's where that's where the closest hospital is going to be. The I think it's Mercy down there in Indiana. So a lot of the people are getting vaccinated down there. The Michigan data is not going to show it. But if you go to the CDC, which is actually keeping track of where you live, uh, they show it. So that's why if you look at the Michigan data itself, uh, Michigan said we were only at uh, a certain number. But then they've gone to using the CDC data. So I think Michigan is saying we've only probably got less than 50%. But CDC data is showing 60 So. It's in the numbers, yeah. So,
1: what is it? Figures lie and lie liars figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: This is and, that, and that's why I I love following this stuff because, um, you know, because some of the things is like if you want to really screw around with numbers, do percentages. Percentages you can get away with just about anything. Huh. You know, I I've got a hundred percent increase. I went from one subscriber to two. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. is and that, so that's better than going from fifty to seventy five fifty percent increase but you know that's what marketers love to look at um so our you know en- enough of this delay I don't even know if I'll leave that in I may cut it out uh, maybe not <laughs> <laughs> I say that we got plenty of editing so are you ready for that time of the show absolutely okay so this one's uh going to be a little string here uh, and you may recognize some of them. So these are how to know if you may have a scuba addiction. You know you're addicted to scuba diving when every morning the sound of shaving foam makes you want to go diving. You actually like wearing full-length wetsuit, hood, gloves, boots, fins, masks, snorkel, buoyancy compensator, compressed air tank, scuba regulator, dive computer, and dive night strap to your inside calf and seven kilograms of lead around your waist. The local dive shop people recognize you on the telephone. You automatically breathe out when you walk up a flight of stairs. <laughs> you suddenly discover a fervent interest in attending scientific conferences in... Vanatu, the Red Sea, the Caribbean, Thailand, and the Great Barrier Reef. The value of money is measured on how much dive gear you could buy with it. No one asks for your certification card anymore. Fresh air is starting to taste funny. The most common word on your credit card bill is dive. Your house always smells of wet neoprene. And finally, you put your left shoe on by dropping in the ground, standing in the toe of your shoe with your right heel, enforcing your left foot into the shoe.
1: And I think we can see ourselves in a (laughs) number of those. I
0: may resemble some of those remarks. Yeah. So until next time, go out there and get wet.
1: And stay safe.